war. It's not pretty and it's not fun. It's painful, it's gory, and the stakes are always high. Victory always comes at a cost. The inescapable reality, however, is that we're caught in a world at war. Two kingdoms colliding as they wage war for the right to rule over every home, over every individual, and over every nation. Though the outcome of victory is already won and determined by one side. See, one kingdom is a kingdom of freedom, of hope, and of life. The other kingdom is a kingdom of bondage, a kingdom of pain, and a kingdom of death. We can't run and we can't hide, but we can choose for which we fight. Now, you may or may not have figured out by now that I'm not actually talking about war in the natural, though that does happen. And yes, I do believe that there are spiritual elements to that, but rather I'm talking about war in the spiritual realm. See, the kingdom of freedom, the kingdom of hope, and the kingdom of life is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of bondage, pain, and death is the kingdom of darkness. And church, the reality is, whether we like it or not, as people, we're engaged in everyday combat with a very real enemy who wishes to annihilate and derail the life of every single individual. Now, I know in Canada and North America, sometimes the spiritual side of things is dismissed or brushed off simply because things aren't always as visible as maybe they are in other nations. But the reality is, is that the enemy is very real, and we are caught up in a very real war spiritually. John 10.10, 10, Jesus is actually speaking, and he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, church, the enemy's purpose is to steal, destroy, and kill, but Jesus always brings life abundantly. See, through Jesus, we can live in hope rather than fear. Live in hope rather than death. And hold victory, not because of us or how great we are or the things that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Now, let me make myself clear. As believers, as people who say that we follow Jesus, we don't need to be afraid of the enemy. We do, however need to be aware and alert to the tactics of the enemy and like soldiers in the natural because the reality is is that we're soldiers in the spirit for the kingdom of God. We need to learn, we need to be equipped, and we need to be trained to fight in the spirit so that when the enemy does try to attack, we know how to recognize it. And then we know how to actually wage war and engage spiritually in battle in ways that are effective. Now, in order to actually fight in the spirit, 
We need to understand who the enemy is. See, it's important to understand when engaging spiritually in battle that the enemy is not people. I'll say it again. The enemy is not people. See, church, so often things can happen or situations arise in our lives and it's so easy to end up thinking that that individual or those individuals that are involved are the enemy. But the reality is, is that they're not. Scripture is actually very clear. There are always spiritual forces at work. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, church, once we know and we actually realize that the enemy is not those around us, right? Like it's not our family, it's not our siblings, it's not our spouse, it's not our coworkers, it's not our boss. Once we actually realize this, then we can more effectively war and fight for the kingdom and for those around us. So how do we fight? Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18, says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So how do we fight? Church, I believe the first way that we fight is with truth with truth. John 17, verse 17. Jesus is actually praying and he says, your word is truth. So make them holy by the truth. See, truth is unchanging because God is unchanging. Both in Hebrews and Malachi, it actually says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. We can actually know what is truth 
and what isn't truth by the word of God and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Numbers 23, verse 19, says, God is not a man, he doesn't lie. God isn't the son of a man to want to take back what he said or say something and not follow through or speak and not act on it. Psalm 33, verse 4, says, For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. See, church, the reality is, is the enemy hates truth. Satan hates truth. If he can actually get somebody to believe a lie, then he will. Because that actually means that he can keep that individual stuck in bondage and in chains. See, I believe when we actually buy into the lies of the enemy, then we're no longer actually walking in the freedom that we were called to as sons and daughters of the living God, which actually in turn affects how we move and how we fight and how we operate as believers. See, church, when we buy into the lies of the enemy, then what actually happens is we don't actually end up operating fully in the authority that God has called us to in that area that we've allowed the enemy to take a hold of. The enemy would love nothing more than to keep us in chains. Why? Because he knows then we aren't a threat to his kingdom. In doing ministry and even just living life, there's a pattern that I've noticed. And it's often that when God actually sets us free from something, a lot of times he ends up using the the broken parts of our past when we're willing But he uses these broken pieces and and he uses that to help us help other people get set free from the same things. And he does this through something that's called our testimony, which is a fancy word to say just the story of what God has done in our lives. So when we do this and we allow God to use our testimony, our story, I believe it actually creates a chain reaction in the spirit as people are set free. So the reality is, if the enemy can keep us trapped in chains, then he will. Because then it means we aren't a threat. Now I know I've shared this before. But in the past, in my own life, I really struggled with fear for a long time. And I don't just mean like a healthy fear, like fear of things that can kill you. I mean like fear of everything. And I, I also went through a season, I, I really love reading. Um, and I love reading books. And I went through a season where um, God was leading me to just like buy books and, and give them to people or read them myself. And in this season, God actually brought me to a book that was all about dealing with fear and doing things afraid. Because I had realized that there were actually some areas in my life that I had allowed fear to creep in. And as a result, it was like I was stuck for years because of this fear. Now, truthfully, I wasn't fully aware of how deep some of this stuff went and how deeply it had affected me until I started actually working through it with the Lord. But there were some lies that I had believed from the enemy. 
And as a result, it actually brought me to a place where I was almost paralyzed by fear. Like I had gotten to the point that I was actually afraid to step forward and move forward in the things that God had asked me to and called me to because of this fear. Now, this isn't anything new. The Israelites dealt with this too. You think about it. There's Joshua and Caleb. For those of you that don't know the story, the Israelites had been under slavery and they come out of exile and God actually tells the Israelites, okay, this is your inheritance. This is your territory that you're going to go in that I've already given to you. So um, Israelites, all you have to do is go into the land and clear the land of the enemy, but I'm going to give you victory and I'm with you. That is part of your inheritance. And so Moses, who was leading the people at the time, he was a uh, a military commander, had military training. And as a wise leader, he says, okay, I'm going to take 12 guys and I'm going to send them into the land to spy out the land. So we know kind of the layout. We know what we're dealing with and we can put together a plan. So he goes and he sends these 12 men. Out of those 12 men, only two actually make it into the promised land. Who? Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they believed the promises of the Lord. See, the other ten had actually listened to the lies of the enemy and they had allowed the voice and the lies of the enemy to become louder and to actually supersede that which God had already declared and said. Because of fear, they weren't actually able to step into the promises that God had declared and and given them as their inheritance. Now, in addition to this, God had given them the land. He said, you you guys, it's already yours. You just have to go and take it. And so the Israelites begin to move forward. And as they begin to move forward in the promises and the things that God had declared, they started to get attacked by the enemy. Which brings me to the next point. See, church, sometimes when we realize there are areas in our lives where we've actually believed the lies of the enemy, and when we realize this, we begin to war, and we begin to fight, and we begin to dismantle these lies in our lives. And as we do so, sometimes we start to see victory. Sometimes we start to see breakthrough. And then it's like all of a sudden these attacks come, and it feels like they're coming out of nowhere. And in addition to this, not only do the attacks come, but sometimes it feels like the attacks are getting more intense or they're getting stronger. But church, I believe that this is because the enemy wants to keep us entrapped so that we don't actually walk in the victory and the authority that Christ has given us. See, church, if the enemy can keep us distracted, if he can keep us uh, looking at the circumstance, looking at our pain, looking at ourselves rather than Jesus then he can actually, like the Israelites, keep us from walking out in the things that God has called us to. Keep us from walking out in the freedom and the victory that is actually part of our inheritance as sons and daughters of the living God. See, church, I believe that sometimes when the attacks are getting stronger, it actually means that the breakthrough is coming. But the enemy is afraid. Because the reality is when the sons and daughters of the living God walk free, chains break. The enemy knows this. So he does 
everything he can in his power to prevent it. But church, can I encourage you? We fight back. We fight back by keeping our eyes on the Lord. We fight back with declaring God's word, his promises, his truth over us and over the situations that we face. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't allow what's happening in the natural to dictate what God has spoken in the spirit. John 8, 44. Jesus is speaking and he says, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Church, the enemy is known as the father of lies, but the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God is known as the spirit of truth. John 16, verse 13, Jesus is actually talking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. See, church, when we stand and we declare the promises and the word of the Lord over ourselves, when we actually stand and declare God's truth in the face of the enemy's lies, then the enemy can't stand. Ephesians 4 Verse 27 says, and do not give the devil a foothold. James 4, verse 7 says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's a saying, give the devil an inch and he wants to be ruler. Meaning what? Meaning when we allow compromise... And we allow the enemy to actually take a foothold in our lives by believing his lies. Then what actually happens is then he starts to take over more areas in our lives. And then we become even more entrapped, even more bound. But church, when we stand and we actually declare the promises and the word of the Lord, and we don't allow the enemy to take a foothold, then he has to leave. So the first way we fight is with truth. The second way we fight is with faith. Okay? First with truth, then with faith. Hebrews 1 verse 11 says, Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. See, church, faith guards us from the lies and the attacks of the enemy. And through faith, I believe we're actually empowered to fight the enemy. Hebrews 11, 30 to 34, I love this passage. It says, faith pulled down Jericho's walls after the people marched around them for seven days. Faith provided a way for escape for Rahab the prostitute, avoiding the destruction of the unbelievers because she received the Hebrew spies in peace. And what more could I say to convince you? For there is not enough time to tell you of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, 
David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. It was faith that shut the mouths of lions, put out the power of raging fire, and caused many to escape certain death by the sword. Although weak, their faith imparted power to make them strong. Faith sparked courage within them, and they became mighty warriors in battle, pulling armies from another realm into battle array. See, church, I believe through faith we actually partner with God against the lies of the enemy and receive the promises that God has actually declared over us. See, through faith we can fight and push the enemy back through things like doubt, through things like fear as it's the Holy Spirit who works in us who empowers us and leads us in truth. John 8, 32 says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Declaring the truth of God's word and choosing to stand in faith always brings freedom. Okay, so the first way we fight is with truth. The second way we fight is with faith. The third way we fight is with the Word of God. We fight with the Word of God. Now, I've kind of already touched on it a little bit in truth, talking about truth. But the Word of God is actually Scripture. It's our Bibles. In Ephesians 6, it actually calls the Word of God the sword of the Spirit. See, church, through the Word of God, through our Scriptures... I believe we can actually gauge what's truth and what's not. Scripture actually sets the standard for living and truth, not opinion. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See, knowing the word of God, knowing what's actually written in our Bibles, I believe actually protects us and helps us wage war against the enemy. See, scripture can actually expose the lies that we believe that, that aren't truth, but it can also help us when the enemy comes and tries to twist the truth. Just as in the natural, we can't wield a sword or a weapon if we don't know how to use it. In the same way, we can't actually effectively fight the enemy if we don't know the word of God. Church, this is why it's so important for us as believers, as people who actually say that we're followers of Jesus, to actually be reading our Bibles and knowing what it says and getting the truth of God's word down into us. Now, for me, this was a lesson that I had learned in high school. Um, I grew up in Edmonton, and I was part of a very, very large high school. 
um, about 2,000 students. And at this point in time, I had been part of student council. And at our high school, um, at the end of every year, they did this massive year-end carnival. And student council was involved in some of the planning. And um, they always had, like, inflatables and games and cotton candy and popcorn. And it was just, like, this massive uh, event that was a lot of fun. But I remember at the time, uh, the student council that I had been a part of was like, oh, we want to be really cool and unique this year. Um, let's get a palm reader. Now, being a Christian, <laughs> we're not supposed to consult with the demonic. And so that didn't actually sit well with me. And so I was like, guys, like, I don't think this is a good idea. Maybe we could do this instead or this instead. But it was a, not a Christian school, and so I got outvoted. And so they ended up getting this palm reader. And I remember the day of the event actually came. They set it up right at the front of the school, across from the uh, office area, right in the foyer. And all day long, I had kind of been in a spirit of prayer. And so it's the day of the event, and I could feel that there was kind of something, there was like a demonic presence in the front of the school, so I was just like avoiding it. Um, and then something ended up happening where I got sent as the runner to go uh, ask a question to the teacher who was in charge and organizing things. And I was looking for her, looking for her. I could not find her. Um, and it turned out that she was at the front of the school. So I was like, Lord, why? But okay, I'll go. So I ended up going. And as I went, I could kind of see. Um, so I went to the front of the school, and I could see kind of the palm reader at her table. And um, I was just like a little bit fearful, truthfully. Because at that point in time, I maybe didn't have a, as good of an understanding of my spiritual authority. And so I was like really nervous and a little bit fearful. And then the teacher was like, oh, I have to go this way. Come with me. And so we're walking and she actually brings me closer to the table where this palm reader was. And so I was dealing with this fear. And then all of a sudden, this palm reader looks at me. And when she did, I'm pretty sure there was a demonic presence there. But the Holy Spirit instantly called up that scripture, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And it just kept playing over again. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I was like, you know what? I don't have to fear because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I was actually able to overcome the fear that I had, but it was only because I knew Scripture. It was only because I had knowledge of the Word of God that the Holy Spirit was actually able to call it up and bring it up in that moment. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been equipped to. We need to know the word of God. Matthew 4, Jesus is actually led into the wilderness. And while he's in the wilderness, Satan actually comes and tries to tempt him. Jesus actually fights back with scripture. But church, here's the thing. Satan knows scripture too. Matthew 4, verse 5 to 7 says, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Church, the enemy is crafty. 
Jesus was able to fight back because he knew the scriptures. As believers, by not actually taking the time to familiarize ourselves with the weapon that actually is the word of God, I believe we actually make ourselves vulnerable to the enemy. And we don't actually just make ourselves vulnerable, but I believe we also become a liability. I mean, you think about it. A soldier in the natural would be pretty dangerous, both to himself and the people around him, if he didn't know how to properly operate his weapon, right? In the same way, church, by not taking the time to actually learn and know what's written in our Bibles, to actually spend time reading the Word of God, I believe that we can actually become a liability to ourselves and those around us because what ends up happening is then we actually end up mishandling or misrepresenting the Word of God. This in turn actually affects our effectiveness as believers and our ability to fight when the enemy attacks. We need to know the Word. So we fight with truth. We fight with faith. We fight with the word of God, and we fight with prayer. We fight with prayer. Now, prayer is one of those things that I think we can sometimes um, over-mystify or over-complicate, right? Like we can think, oh, well, it's, I, I, I have to pray like with the longest words, or I have to pray for a certain amount of time. But the reality is, is that prayer is just a conversation with God. But church, I believe that prayer is also one of the biggest weapons that we can use in warfare against the enemy to fight and war and intercede for ourselves and for those around us. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. As believers, as followers of Jesus, prayer is the key to everything that we do. See, when we pray, the Holy Spirit leads us into what we should say when we war and intercede. Romans 8:26 says and in a similar way the holy spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for, but the holy spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. Church, when we pray, we need to be active and alert. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 6 verse 18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Back to the soldier analogy. If we think of a soldier in the natural, like, they need to be alert, right? Like, if if they're in the midst of a battle, they cannot afford to fall asleep. Falling asleep would actually put them at risk of being killed or hurt, 
But not only that, it would actually put their fellow comrades, their fellow troops at risk of also being killed or hurt. Church, I believe it's the same with us. We cannot afford to be complacent or sleepy when it comes to the things of the Spirit. We need to be a people of prayer who will stand watch, who are awake and alert to the things of the Spirit, and who will intercede for those around us when the enemy tries to attack. In Nehemiah 4, the wall of Jerusalem was destroyed. And so Nehemiah was um, this leader, and he, he gathers the people together to rebuild the wall. And so what ends up happening is as the people are building, the enemy comes and he lies, and he tries to intimidate, he tries to hinder, he tries to discourage the people of God from actually building and repairing that which they're called to build and repair. And it actually comes to a point where in the lowest parts of the wall, in the spaces where the people were the most vulnerable to attack, Nehemiah actually stations the people by families. Nehemiah 4, verse 13 to 14, says, So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I station the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. See, when the enemy comes and tries to intimidate and distract the people of God, to to make the people look at the circumstance, Nehemiah actually comes along and reminds the people to look up, to keep their eyes on the Lord, to stand in the gap and fight. Later on in the chapter, it actually says that the people built in such a way that they had their building tools in one hand, and their weapons in the other. Church, in the same way, I believe that we're also called to fight and stand in the gap. To fight and war in the spirit on behalf of our families, on behalf of our church, and on behalf of our community, armed with things like prayer, faith, scriptures, truth, and the word of God. Church, if we want to see people free from the chains that bind them, And if we actually want to see victory when the enemy attacks us, then prayer is essential. We need to be a people of prayer. Lastly, another way to fight and to wage war against the enemy is through salvation. See, I mentioned in the beginning that there's a little bit of a problem with war. See, war always comes at a high cost. Victory always comes at a high cost. In our case, the cost was a life exchanged for a life. Jesus exchanged on the cross in the place where we should have been in order to save us from our sins because the reality is is that we're all sinful. Romans actually says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Meaning that nothing that we could ever do would be good enough. Nothing could ever actually measure up, which is why Jesus died for you and I. The perfect sacrifice 
the Son of God who literally became sin so that we could be whole again and have life. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. See, church, Jesus calls us to walk in life and hope and freedom, to live a life full of joy and meaning. John 8, 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So if you want that, we're going to pray a prayer. All right, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your peace. I ask you now to forgive me of all my sin and all my mistakes. Use my life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to pray. So, Lord Jesus. We just thank you for your presence in this place. God, I thank you that you are a God of victory, that you are a God who fights and wars on behalf of his children. And God, I thank you that you never actually leave or forsake us. Lord, um, we just bind any demonic attacks that are happening over your people right now in the name of Jesus, and we just command them to break off. Lord, that you would send your uh, warring angels to fight and war and, and shift things in the spirit in Jesus' name. God, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We thank you in advance for the breakthrough that's coming. God, we thank you in advance for the shift that's taking place in the Spirit. It's just coming to mind now. Daniel, when everything that was happening in the kingdom, he prayed for 21 days, and um, it took 21 days before he actually heard back from the Lord. But the angel that was sent actually said, God heard you from the moment that you first spoke. But the problem was is that we had the enemy that was attacking us and actually another angel had to come and fight so that I could come here to you and talk to you. But God is still bringing breakthrough. He's heard your prayer, whoever you are. He will bring the victory. Continue to believe, continue to war, continue to fight because God has not forgotten. He has not forsaken his children. He is faithful to do what he says. So, God, we just declare that in this place, Lord, that even now that things would be shifting in the spirit. God, that we wouldn't be complacent or sleepy, but, Lord, that we would actually uh, be alert and aware to the kingdom realities. Lord, that we would be a people that's willing to stand and fight and war for the people around us, for our homes, for our families, for the people that you bring us. Lord, that we would be a people that stand in the gap. Lord, that we would fight in the ways that you've called us to fight. Lord, increase our faith. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.